Welcome back to Hopeful Harvest Acres. This is Abby, and on today's episode, we are on week six of our Excellent Wife series titled A Wife's Understanding of Her Role. If you would, grab your Bibles, a cup of coffee, and let's jump right in. Hello, and welcome back. So glad that you guys are all joining me today, as always. We are going to continue on using Martha Peace's book titled The Excellent Wife, and we're on week six already. October is going to be coming to a close, and then we will be approaching the busy months of holidays, November and December, and before you know it, we'll be approaching the new year, and this study is going to take us well into January, so stick it out with me as we continue on learning about a biblical perspective of the excellent wife. So this week, we're focusing on God's perfect plan in a wife's understanding of her role. And I really want you to come in with an open mind and be prepared to search the scriptures this week and to really take the time to meditate on what you are hearing. Whenever I heard Martha speak down in Kentucky at the Answers for Women's conference, I could automatically relate to her story of coming to know the Lord. She did not attend church as a small child. She did not have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. She came to know the Lord as an adult. She was a nurse, as I am a nurse. She was a young married woman who had started out her family. She was very selfish in how she lived her life, and I was in tears by the time Martha got to the end of her personal testimony because it was very similar to my own in realizing how far I was from honoring God our creator and how desperate I was in need of a savior, that savior being Jesus. And I really appreciated Martha's honesty in talking about her struggles as a new Christian to really come to grips with some of these scriptures that I'm going to share with you today. Now, as always, when we come to God's word, we need to, first of all, ask the Lord to guide us through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, illuminating his word to help us to understand it. That should always be how we approach scripture first and foremost. Second of all, we need to make sure that we are not taking scripture out of context. What this means is that when we read a specific scripture, we're not just trying to make it say what we want it to mean. We need to actually take into account the entire Bible and how that specific scripture may not mean what you think it does. We need to look at other passages that help us put the pieces together to form the large picture of what God is trying to portray. The scriptures are not about us. They are about God. However, scriptures will obviously apply to us, seeing that in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, it tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful in teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us in righteousness so that we may be equipped to do the work that the Lord has prepared for us to do. And so when we think about what that means, we think about that the text is useful for doctrine. Doctrine is a fancy term 
for knowing about God. We can't know about God if we don't first go to his word to read and study about who he is. And the Bible tells us that it's going to correct us. It's going to rebuke us. This means that we might be on a wrong path, but God is going to take us by using his inspired word and set us onto the right path as we hear it and we obey. And it's also teaching us in righteousness. When we accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are redeemed. We are a holy priesthood. We are chosen and beloved by God, and we must embrace our new status as God's children. We put behind our path that we once walked, and we embrace who God is calling us to be, and that is his followers, those that he has redeemed. God's holy word is all about him seeking to have fellowship with his created beings made in his image and how he goes about doing that through sending forth his son Jesus who would then bring forth the Holy Spirit who would be our helper. But ladies, we have to understand that God's word is useful. It's useful in teaching us. And so that's what it's going to do today. Now understand also that there are going to be different bodies of Christ who maybe have different ways of viewing certain portions of scripture. And so again, I'm going to come at this from a complementarian view, which means that men and women, yes, we are created in the image of God and we are both equal. We are co-heirs in the kingdom of God. But yet God has created us unique in that we are male and female and we do have unique specific roles that we should be seeking to fulfill. And so chapter six is all about talking about a wife's understanding of her role. So come along with me as we discuss this chapter in greater depth. As we jump to the scriptures, we're going to look at a passage found in the book of Genesis, chapter 127, and here is what it reads. It says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. You see, I just mentioned that we were created to be image bearers of God. We as human beings, we possess the attributes of God. And as men and women, although we are created in his image, we are created uniquely in that as male and female, we have different qualities of God. God also made us to rule over the created world. We are to have dominion over the created world. This means that we are to care for the created world. We are to tend to the created world. We are to use animals to their fullest potential. We are able to use animals for food now. And so we were made by God. We were made for God. And therefore we are responsible to God. Although we have dominion over the created things, we don't have dominion over God. God has dominion over us. In Romans 3.19 it reads, Now we know 
that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are in the law, so that every mouth may be shut and all the world may become accountable to God. Friends, we are accountable to God and God alone. But that doesn't mean that there aren't specific unique roles that we are to be fulfilling while we are here. These roles are what hold us accountable to God. If we were to imagine a picture, we see God at the center. God is key here as he is the one who made all, fashioned all, all is for him. And we have legs coming down from that. One is man, one is woman, yet both made in the image of God, yet both unique. Nature of men and women are the same, we're made in the image of God, but the differences are in our physical bodies. We cannot deny this. But friends, I want to remind you that ever since the beginning of time, people have been asking the question, just as Eve did, did God really say? Not only did God really say, but they're twisting it and they're using God's word to suit their own desires. This is why we're seeing men pursuing becoming women and women pursuing becoming men. I shouldn't even say men and women for we're speaking about children here. We're talking about parents who are allowing their children to undergo sex changes, to change their physical anatomy to meet their own desires rather than being accountable to God, rather than seeing that they are image bearers made uniquely as male or female. They're taking matters into their own hands. And should we be surprised? In Romans 1, I'm going to read starting in verse 8. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve, is my in my spirit, in the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers, earnestly asking, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be strengthened, that is, to be mutually encouraged while among you by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul is speaking about the people who have heard the good news of the gospel. They understood who they are apart from Christ. They are sinners that fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. We deserve to die. But the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ for all who accept it. He's telling them he wants to be with these believers. He longs to impart to them a spiritual gift, meaning the gifts that God has bestowed upon Paul. Remember, we each have unique spiritual gifts. If you haven't taken the time to go back through and listen to the series that I did, on spiritual gifts and how God gives each of us as believers unique spiritual gifts to edify the body of Christ, to build up the believers that make up the church. I want to encourage you to do that. 
But Paul's saying he wants to use his gifts, gifts to strengthen and encourage the believers. But now he goes on in verse 13. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that often I have planned to come to you so that I may have some fruit among you also, even as I am among the rest of the Gentiles. Not only was Paul able to impart on the others, the other believers, these spiritual gifts, but he knew that he was going to be encouraged by the body of Christ. We make up one body, but we are each unique members. We may be individual parts, but you don't have a body without the parts coming together in unity to serve one another so that they may glorify Christ. That's the purpose of the church is to glorify Christ. He continues and says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In this way, for my part, I am eager to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul knew that it was his mission to go to the ends of the earth at this time to bring the gospel to lost souls. God saved him for the purpose of being a missionary to the unknown regions where the gospel could be heard by people who were once not a people so that they could receive salvation in Christ. He says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous will live by faith. Now, the purpose of me reading this is to introduce you to the next part, part, which talks about God's wrath and unrighteousness. We've just heard about the beauty of the gospel for those who will believe and repent and receive eternal salvation through Jesus. This is good news. This is great news. We should not be ashamed of the gospel, for we know that it is the means that God uses to bring his people to him. He leaves the 99 to find the one. We are the bridge, friends. We must be willing to go out to take the good news to the world so that God's people will hear and believe. We have the great privilege to see darkened hearts be enlightened. This study is about marriage, but let us remember our greatest calling is to be conformed in the image of Christ. And we are commanded to go and make disciples. So as believers in Christ, as disciples in Christ, we have this great calling to go and make disciples. And I promise I'll get back to the point of a wife's understanding of her role, but I really want us to hit on this today. If you don't see the world around you as fallen and broken and every single person made in the image of God, when you look at them in the eyes, remember They were created by God and for God, and he loves them. He wants a relationship with them. He wants them to turn and to come to him. But now back to the reality that there are people that they are doing whatever they please. They refuse to become accountable to God. We see this in the fact that men and women are seeking to change their identities, to change the gender that God created them to be. In verse 18 of Romans 1, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The good news is great news, but it's not good news to those who suppress it. Verse 19, Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. 
For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, both his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Bear with me here. We have a few more verses. Verse 28. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, a.k.a. to be accountable to God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things which are not proper, having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Friends, I heard once, actually, I've heard it many times, and it's stuck with me ever since that first time, that I read it or I heard a pastor or an evangelist or just an ordinary Christian who's going out to serve the Lord. Maybe it was one of those men who, who said it. They said, how much can you hate a person to not share with them the truth? If you know the truth, we should be relying on the Holy Spirit to empower us to go out, to live our lives in a worthy manner and to share the good news. We can't share the good news without first helping people realize who they are apart from Christ, who they are, which is dead in their sins. And so we see that Romans 3.19 is telling us that we must become accountable to God because again, we were created by God, we were created for God, and therefore we are accountable to God. Now, I think that talking about all this is important because not only has the fallen creation tried to misarrange the way that we should view man and woman and that they are physically transforming themselves or attempting to, to the best of their ability with modern day medicine and technology and whatnot, to the opposite gender, but we are seeing that women are seeking to dominate over their men, which soon we're going to learn this is not how God created woman. And we'll talk about that in greater depth as we go through chapter six. But we see that even people inside the church that we have been greatly influenced by the culture around us. 
if you read the books of first and second Corinthians, you know that these are letters of corrections to the church in Corinth. Paul was writing to tell them that they have abandoned their first love and their ways of thinking has been corrupted by the pagan societies around them. Now, scripture tells us that although we are in the world, we are not of the world. So we must be people who seek to live by the truth of God's word. That way we can distinguish between lies and truth, the lies of the evil one and the truth that sets us free, the truth that we're called to live by. But we are in the world. So therefore, we're going to be surrounded by a culture that doesn't believe God, that doesn't worship God, and that does not bring themselves to be accountable to God. But we cannot fall into deception, into believing that we should join in in their way of thinking. And so it is as we look at roles of men and women. Let's not let society tell us how a male should be defined, how a woman should be defined, and what the roles should be and who should be the one in charge in a marriage in this relationship. Let's let God tell us what that should look like. And so when we look at man, the first man that God created was Adam. It says that he was formed from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into him. And Adam became a living being. God later would form Eve from Adam, from man. She was made to be a helper suitable for him. He brought the woman made from man to him. Let's not get this reversed here. Man was made first. Woman was made from man. But we can't allow man to totally dominate in a authoritarian view in that woman has no play when it comes to humanity. For we know that every single man has been born of woman. And so at the end of the podcast, we're going to address the fact that there is no power play that needs to be taking place. There is perfect harmony in a relationship and man and woman have been created to be interdependent upon one another. But for now, let's continue on. In 1 Timothy 2.13, it reads, For it was Adam who was created first, then Eve. Again, we're seeing the order of creation. Woman was created for man. In 1 Corinthians 11, 7 through 9, it reads, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. Now, I know that there is a lot of abuse that has taken place inside of certain churches over the years. And so this specific passage from 1 Corinthians can be interpreted in many different ways, many wrongful ways. And so the focus of this is not to get caught up in whether or not a woman should be covering her head physically whenever she is out and about in public. That's not the message that I believe that this is trying to portray. Although at the time, if we look at woman in culture, you know, women really did not have a lot of opportunities to work outside of the home. She was primarily in the home at the time because 
women didn't have a lot of career options. There were limited employment options for women. And women at the time, they were seen as less than than men. They were um, kind of treated as scum in many ways. And so as we're introducing these new principles, as the church is being formed, where we see that Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, they had a really messed up view of men and women and how their roles should be viewed. And now God has put a twist on it, so to speak. He has he has allowed it to be brought back to the truth of how he always created it to be. But over time, his word was twisted and the roles were messed up. And so now he is trying to bring back unity to how male and female were created in his image with these unique specific roles. Now, women are not to be powering over the men, which is what we were seeing happening during the time that the church in Corinth was established. What I do want us to focus on, rather than getting into the whole discussion of whether a woman should be covering her head and whatnot, is the fact that God tells us man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. Again, for indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. And so now I want us to address the rules of the Trinity, which the rules of the Trinity, they bring about perfect unity. They have perfect harmony within the Trinity. And so we need to understand, one, that God the Father is the planner who makes the plans. Two, God the Son is the one who carries out the plans. And three, God the Holy Spirit is also the one who carries out the plans, as well as keeps and empowers Christians. And so, again, they are equal in power. They are all God. And yet, they have chosen to subject themselves to specific roles to carry out God's perfect plan in creation so that we, as male and female, as image bearers, would also carry out the specific roles that God has put in place for us as his children. So we see that there are no power plays within the roles of the Trinity. They're all satisfied with their roles, and there is no role confusion. And so when we view man and woman from a biblical perspective without allowing sin to cause confusion within our roles, we also would see that a marriage relationship between male and and woman will not have power plays, that there will not be role confusion, and that we as male and female would be satisfied with our roles. I mentioned earlier how impactful Martha Peace's personal testimony was to me and that I could relate to her story in many ways. And as a new Christian coming in contact with a lot of these verses, I wasn't quite sure if I wanted to embrace them, if I wanted to believe them. And, you know, God understands that we are being brought out of a society that rejected him and we walked in our own ways. And even as followers of Christ, there is many, there are many areas that we need to allow God's spirit to work within so that we can obey Christ rather than man. And so as I share with you my own personal struggles later on with areas where I have not always submitted to the will of God in embracing my role as a woman, as a wife to my husband, I'm going to share with you some areas where I myself have struggled and where I am still currently struggling. 
Now, when we talk about men and women having their roles reversed because of the culture that surround us, we really need to go back to the beginning, shortly after the fall, whenever God saw that man was hiding from him. They once were naked and unashamed, and now they have found leaves to cover themselves, and they are hiding from God, despite the fact that God knows where they are. He already knows what they have done. They are seeking to not bring to light what has just taken place. And so in Genesis 3.16, it reads, To the woman, he said, Okay, again, they have just sinned against God, and so God has to punish them because he is a holy, righteous God. He cannot let the guilty go unpunished. He says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in and your conception, sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. This is why as women, whenever we are giving birth while we are pregnant, it is an uncomfortable experience. Women that say that they don't experience pain when they're giving birth, I say, wow, I, I've really never seen that before. I've been a labor nurse for seven years, and every woman I've ever seen, they let out some form of sign that they are in pain. So that is a result of the fall. And it also says, your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Now again, in a sinful way, men will seek to rule over their husbands, to dominate over them, to treat them poorly, not in the way that they are called to, which I really don't address that much in this podcast because I'm not speaking to men and to what God is calling them to do as men, but we know that God does tell men in the book of Ephesians where he's also addressing women to submit themselves to their husbands. He is telling men to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Christ laid himself down for the church, and so men are to lay themselves down for their wives, but we see that men are going to seek to rule over their wives, but we also see that women are going to have this strong desire to rule over them. And so here's where this power play is coming into effect, where we see that there is this constant strife and anger in the relationship of a marriage that is not from God. And this can only be made right through the perfect work of Jesus and through us looking to God's word and obeying obeying God's word for how he is calling us to live. We can have perfect harmony in the sense that we are still in the world. We are still in the flesh. You know, Paul calls himself a sinner very few times in scriptures. We need to refer to ourselves as redeemed, as chosen, children of God. But at the same time, we are still in the flesh. And so we are going to at times seek to not have harmony in our relationships. And as women, we're going to desire to rule over our husbands at time. And we're going to see that there is this power play. But as Christians, as believers, we need to seek unity. We need to seek to be fulfilling the role that God's perfect plan has put in place. We see in Ephesians 5.23 where it says, The husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. People don't like this. People are offended by this. 
But again, if we look to the Trinity as our perfect example, as our perfect model for how we should be living as God's image bearers, we won't hate this scripture. We will not seek to twist this scripture to meet our own desires. We will actually embrace it. It will no longer be hard to read. It'll be something that transforms us from within. I've talked about Mike Winger and his ministry called Bible Thinker that's available on YouTube. I think he just recently launched his own website where you can go there and you can look up all of his videos and all of his content that he has available. But he is a complementarian who speaks boldly about men and women roles and uses scripture to back up his reason for why he believes it is truly biblical. But he says at the end of the day, someone is going to have the final say. I want you to take some time. I want you to evaluate how you and your husband are making decisions. Are you coming together? Are you seeking to make a decision as one? But at the end of the day, who is making that final call when you can't come to an agreement? Women. We need to be willing to read God's word and to submit to our husbands in the way that Christ submitted himself to the will of the Father. This is biblical and God will bless you for your efforts. Now, one of the last things that I'm going to do today is I'm simply going to read from Martha's book where she says, 18 ways a wife may be the glory of her husband. You may cringe at these at first, as I first did when I read this for the first time. Two years later, reading this book for the second time, my eyes have been opened in a whole new way that they were not two years ago. And so come along with me as I read through these 18 ways a wife may be the glory of her husband. And as I share some of my own personal testimony with how I have submitted to these or how I haven't and how God is personally working in my life and I hope that you'll be encouraged. Number one, ask your husband, what are your goals for the week? This is so simple, right? This really truly does seem so simple. And if you've been in a relationship where you've kind of just been doing your thing, your husband's doing his thing, you have your job, he has his job, you're both making an income, this may be a really big first step for you to take as you are seeking to obey God's word and to fulfill your role as a woman, as your husband's helper. So what are your goals for the week? We are selfish people by nature. Remember, we tend to ask the question, what can I get out of this? And rather, we need to replace it with, what can I give? And so, by simply asking your husband what his goals are, he may be taken aback. He might think, wow, like what's going on with you? And I encourage you to share with him why your perspective is changing. And he may be more inclined to truly share these goals with you if he knows that you're not seeking to do it in a vengeful way, because maybe that's been your personality and how your marriage has rolled for the last several years. And so again, Simple question. Number two, ask your husband, how can I help you accomplish these goals? Not only should be we be 
interested in what our husband's goals are, but asking him the simple question, how can we accomplish these goals? And so now to share with you currently what my husband and I are walking through without obviously revealing too much information. I tend to be more of an open book because I see fit to share some of these personal life experiences with others. And I've seen where God has really brought people who listen to this podcast or people who have just been out and about who he's inclined me to share something personal with. And they have been like, wow, I really needed to hear that. And so currently my husband and I, we are really looking at our budget I, for the first time, have created a budget that might sound ridiculous to some of you. We've always just kind of been under this understanding like, well, we have this much money coming in and we spend this much money X amount. But to really look and see dollar per dollar how much we are spending, it's holding me accountable to not go and swipe that debit card here and there. And my husband had came to me and he said, this is actually something that I want you to look at. Every time you jump in the car, Abby, and you make a drive to the local town that's 30 miles away, that's $20. And that might not seem like much, but when you're running here and running there and it's an unnecessary trip, that that does add up. And this was something that was serious to him. And I was realizing that I was setting a budget for gas monthly, that I was going way beyond. And so you can see that you're blowing your budget by doing this. And I was thankful that I asked my husband, what's what's a goal that you have for us? And he said, it's to not go over our budget. And I took this seriously. My husband goes off to work. He works Tuesday through Saturday. He has Sundays and Mondays off to spend time with us as a family. But during those days that he's off at work, I'm at home with the kids and I'm responsible for managing our bank account, paying all the bills that are coming in, making sure that we are planning out our groceries for the week. We have meals of what we're going to be eating and we're staying within that monthly budget for groceries as well. And my husband wants to make sure that I can be responsible for these tasks so that he can just simply go to work and provide an income for us so that we can have money to pay for these things. But he doesn't want to have to worry about whether or not we're going to overdraw on our bank account. So I hope this was a good example for some of you ladies that are listening. Number three, ask your husband, is there anything that I can do differently that would make it easier for you? And again, this was something that I did ask my husband And he just shared with me the fact that he doesn't want to have to stress about whether or not we're going to overdraw on our account. This is kind of embarrassing, ladies. I want you to know that my husband and I, we have came a long way. If you are in a position where you are financially struggling, if you are in a position where you are in debt to your eyeballs with credit card payments that you have built up, I want to encourage you that four years ago when my walk with the Lord began, I also had credit card debt and God showed me that I'm spending beyond my means. And so I looked at my husband, I physically cut the cards up. I even went and I canceled the credit cards. I know a lot of people say that's terrible for your credit. You should never do that. I didn't want there to be any possibility that I could somehow get online and ask for a new card. And for the last four years, I have no longer owned a credit card. I have simply lived off of the money that we have had in our checking and our savings account. And this is huge. And it's it can simply be done by asking your husbands, what can I do differently? What would make it easier for you? 
My husband didn't want there to be any reason to believe that I would be taking this little piece of plastic with money that didn't even exist, going to Hobby Lobby to buy home decor that we couldn't even afford because that was making his life stressful. Now he can simply go to work and he can trust that his wife is actually looking at the budget, that she's actually concerned with the fact that the money that he is bringing in is from him sacrificing his time to be away from the home so that we can pay for the things that we actually need. Number four, be organized with cleaning, grocery shopping, laundry, and cooking. As you fulfill your God-given responsibilities, your husband is then free to do his work. Again, I kind of highlighted on this, but women, if you're working outside the home, I know this makes it a little bit harder to be able to plan out meals for your family. I know that there are a lot of YouTube channels that talk about doing crockpot meals or making things ahead. And so I want to encourage you that it's not totally impossible for you to be a working mom and for you also to be glorifying your husband in keeping up with the grocery shopping and with the cooking and things like that. But I will, I'm going to speak from a perspective of now being a full-time homemaker and just going into work as it fits into our schedule, as we can add a little bit of extra income with me going to pick up a shift at work. But for the most part, it's going to fall on me to be making sure that the grocery shopping is getting done and that I'm making a grocery list. We're knowing what we're going to eat for the most part. And so my husband doesn't have to worry about this. He's free to go off to work and then I can have food on the table. We can sit down as a family, spend that time together. And then the rest of the evening, we can do whatever it is that we want to accomplish as a family or things that my husband wants to work on that he's not able to work on while he's at work making an income for us to live. Number five, save some of your energy every day for him. I know that raising little ones is absolutely exhausting. There are going to be nights that you don't sleep because, well, maybe you have a newborn and you're up breastfeeding half the night. Maybe your child is sick, they're teething, and so again, they're waking up throughout the night and you're sleeping very little, and so you're tired. But I want to encourage you to save some of your extra energy every day for him. If you're using all of your energy on your children, again, give yourself some grace depending on the season that you're in. If you have a newborn, it's going to be hard. It's going to look different, but maybe you need to free up your schedule so that you're not running yourself ragged, giving all of your energy, all of your first fruits to the people around you. And then there's nothing left to give to your husband. Make time for your husband. He is important. Before you had children, you were one with your husband. Before you give all your energy to your community and to your church, make time for your husband. God wants you to prioritize him. Number six, put him first over the children, over your parents, your friends, your job, your ladies' Bible study. Ouch. That last one, it hurt, ladies. When I came to know the Lord, I had a strong desire to read and study God's word so that I could go out and I could teach other women. This has always been something that God has given me a strong passion for. And so I did just that. I would spend countless hours reading my Bible every single day. And I was neglecting the duties of my home. I wasn't keeping up with the laundry. My husband was having to dig through giant piles of clothes, despite the fact that I was home full time. And 
I was focusing primarily on what I wanted to focus on, which at the time you might think, well, that's not a bad thing, Abby, helping other ladies come to know the Lord through studying his word and then helping teach his word. But if I'm neglecting my primary role, which is to be my husband's helper, well, then this lady's Bible study is really not glorifying the Lord in the way that I should and could be. Number seven, it says, willingly and cheerfully rearrange your schedule for him when necessary. I want to take a pause. Are you hearing these things? Are you cringing and saying, wow, I cannot believe these things are coming out of Abby's mouth. These seem absolutely ridiculous. Can I remind you the first time I read them, I also had those same thoughts. Surely this isn't how God wants me to live. Surely he wants me to just pursue what I want to do. What's wrong with leading a a ladies Bible study. What's wrong with putting my friends and my job as a labor nurse over my husband? I went to school for this. I worked hard for this. I love God's word. So if I'm teaching other ladies, is that such a bad thing? Ladies, we need to make sure that we're prioritizing our husband. We're rearranging our schedules for him when necessary. If you don't like what I have to hear, I pray that you will truly go to the Lord and ask him to see his word in the way that he wants you to see it, not the way that you want to see it, that you want to read it, that you want to hear it. Number eight, this one hurts, ladies. Talk about him in a positive light to others. Do not slander him at all, even if what you are saying is true. Now, my husband has given me permission to talk about this, and so it's not something that I talk about lightly, but when I was a new Christian, I was very ignorant to the fact that I was to honor my husband. I saw him as this man who was not living for the Lord, and he was lost, and he needed saved, and well... I just wanted any opportunity I could to tell people that he was lost and that, well, he he wasn't pursuing the Lord. And then it was almost like God hit me in the back of the head one day because I wasn't taking into account what his word actually said about loving my husband and that I can win him over without a word, without preaching at him, without going to others and slandering him, hoping that they could speak some sense into him. And I realized that what I was doing was not honoring God. Even if what I was saying was true, I was not honoring the Lord and how I was speaking about my husband. And I praise the Lord that I now have a husband who he goes to church with us. He prays with us. He pursues a relationship with the Lord and he seeks to see his children also to know the Lord. And he teaches them about God's ways. And I'm so thankful for God's faithfulness, for his love, his mercy, and forgiveness, that despite the fact of how I was going about doing things, God can still work even in the midst of really messy situations. So I'm so thankful for that. Number nine, it says, do whatever you can to make him look good, to accomplish his goals. Some examples are offer to run errands for him. Organize your day to be available to help him with his projects. Pray for him. Make good suggestions. Give him the freedom not to use your suggestion. And do not be offended if he does not follow it. This is so important because as you you give him suggestions for things that he could do to accomplish goals, 
don't take offense whenever he doesn't take your advice. Now, that would be the opposite of honoring your husband because now you're selfishly, again, thinking about your own needs and, well, why doesn't he want to listen to me? This is a good idea and I'm trying to help him. Okay, remember, you can give a suggestion and people aren't always going to move forward with what you're saying. It is a suggestion. Number 10, consider his work, his job, his goals, his hobbies, his work for the Lord as more important than your own. This is so important because as your husband steps into his role as a male, as an image bearer of Christ, as the head of his family, created to do the work that God has called him to do, you are glorifying God. This is so important. We think, well, if, even if my husband, if he's an unbeliever or he's not pursuing the work that the Lord's calling him to do, well, why should I set aside the work that God's called me to do, you know, in the church and serving and this and that, if he's not going to move forward with that? Ladies, this is a wrong attitude to have. You will glorify God in glorifying your husband by seeking to put his goals and work, hobbies, job, as more important than your own. Number 11, think of specific ways that you can help him accomplish his goals. Examples are get up early in the mornings to help him get off to work having had a good breakfast. Take care in recording telephone messages for him. This is an old school thing in this book. Obviously, we don't really record telephone messages anymore, but anticipate any needs he may have in order to attain a specific goal and keep careful records of money spent to keep up with the budget. Number 12, consider the things that you are involved in. How do they glorify your husband? Ask for his guidance. So again, be asking your husband about the things that you want to pursue. What is his opinion? What is his desire for you, for your family? If you are seeking to lead a women's Bible study, which is indeed a good thing, it can be a good thing, but it's taking away from time that you can spend with your family because you have young children who are very dependent on you right now, it may not be the best time. And so ask your husband what he would like to see happen. If he says, yes, I want you to do this and move forward this, we're going to prioritize our schedules around this so that you can go and do it. Hey, great. I'm so glad that he is willing to walk alongside you. But if in any way he thinks it's a bad idea because you're not going to be able to tend to the needs of your family and to him, and he is willing to verbalize that, take that into account and listen to him. Number 13, be warm and gracious to his family and friends. Make your commitment to him obvious to others. Warm and gracious to his family and friends. Now, I want to remind you that when we come into the body of Christ. We have been adopted into God's family. There is not one specific person who is at a higher standing. We were all once orphans, so to speak, and God has brought us in to be a part of his eternal family. Now, at the same time, we're still part of earthly families. They may be broken families, but we still have perhaps a mother and a father. We have siblings. We have in-laws. And so we need to take into account our spouse's family members and our spouse's friends. And we need to be treating them respectfully 
we need to be gracious and warm to them. If my mother-in-law is listening, we will both tell you that we haven't always seen eye to eye over the course of my husband and I's marriage. This has been a stumbling block for my husband because he loves his mother. This woman has raised him and she saw him off to become a husband to me, to become a dad to her grandchildren. And now as his wife, I have stepped into the role becoming one with him. And it's hard in many ways for her to let go of her son and for me to be willing to see that she is still his mom. And there hasn't always been warm and gracious feelings in our relationship together. But as we both grow, her and I, in our understanding of who we are in Christ, we are seeing that we're seeking unity. But even if there's not unity between you and perhaps your mother-in-law, or you and one of your husband's sisters or one of your husband's friends that he enjoys spending time with. You need to make it a commitment to really be warm and gracious to them, to forgive them as Christ has forgiven you, and to treat them in a kind way so that your husband is not having to walk on eggshells every time you two are within the same walls together. Number 14, do and say things that build him up instead of tear him down. Number 15, please don't take offense to this one, ladies. Hear me out. Number 15, dress and apply your makeup in an attractive manner that is pleasing to your husband. Now, I say this with the reality, some husbands don't care if you wear makeup. They like you to just go as you are. Some husbands could care less whether you keep your hair long or you keep your hair short. If you color your hair, don't color your hair, straighten it, leave it up, down, whatever. But some husbands have a specific preference for how they'd like you to wear your hair and how they'd like you to see or how they'd like to see you do your makeup, what you're wearing out and about. Now, obviously, we are called to live a life of modesty and how we dress and how we portray ourselves. Our bodies are temples of the risen Lord. And there are certain body parts that God has intended for us to cover and I believe that this goes back to the fact that before the fall, they were naked and unashamed, but because of sin, it brought forth the reality that they were naked. And so we don't see people just openly, publicly walking around naked anymore. God has given us coverings. He sacrificed the first animals to provide those clothing items for Adam and Eve. And so God wants us to be covered. And so we should not be seeking to reveal certain parts of our bodies in a provocative way to draw attention to ourselves. And so obviously take that into account as your husband is asking you to wear certain things when you're out in public, when you're alone with your husband, hey, go for it. But if your husband is requesting that you dress, do your hair, wear makeup in a certain manner, just do it. This is... This is not you doing it in vain. You should seek to please the Lord by pleasing your husbands. We shouldn't dress, wear our hair, makeup in a certain way to impress the world around us, which in my opinion is pretty much how most of society lives. We don't dress to impress our husbands. We dress to impress the women and the men around us. This is a wrong way of thinking. Number 16, when your husband sins, reprove him privately and gently, always giving him hope and pointing him to the Lord. 17, encourage him to use his spiritual gifts in ministry. 18, 
Realize that just as God is glorified when man obeys him, your husband is glorified when you obey your husband. I want to take the time to just read this last paragraph of chapter 6 with what Martha has written. So it reads, The question always comes up, what if your husband is not a Christian? What if he is not glorifying the Lord? I'm reminded of a story that my grandmother told me once about her parents. They were born around the time of the Civil War. Apparently her mother was a Christian and her father was not. Reflecting back, my grandmother told how my mother always wanted to please him. In order to please her husband, she was gentle and kind and cooperated in all of the many relocation moves they made. Her usual answer when he requested something was, Yes, Dad. She did not complain or grumble. She seemed to go gladly along with him and his plans. Even when she differed, she still respectfully supported him. I asked my grandmother, How did your father treat your mother? And she said, He adored her. Well, my great-grandfather may not have glorified Christ, but my great-grandmother did by magnifying her husband, by living out the role that God intended for her, a special blessing for her was how her husband treated her and loved her. You see, a Christian woman can do the right thing and fulfill her God-given role regardless of whether her husband fulfills his or not. Now, I listed a lot of ways that you can bring glory to the Lord by glorifying your husbands. And so I want you to focus on these six elements when you think about these 18 examples that I have given. You need to seek companionship with your husband, number one. Number two, you need to seek to love your husband, not in the way that culture tells you to love, but in the way that God tells you to love. Love in the Bible is referred to as agape. Agape is an action. So how we love our husbands is a reflection of 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 Christ and what we believe to be true about him. Number three, we need to be showing respect to our husbands. Number four, we need to be helpers to our husbands. Number five, we need to be devoted to our husbands. And number six, we need to be treating our husbands with self-respect. I'm so glad that you joined me all today as we went through chapter six of The Excellent Wife, A Wife's Understanding of Her Role. Next week, we're going to jump into part two of The Excellent Wife series, and it's going to be A Wife's Responsibility, Faithful Commitments of the Excellent Wife. Ladies, as we come to a close today, I thank you for following along. I hope that you will take to heart the things that we've discussed and that you will prayerfully go to the Lord to help you understand a wife's understanding of her role all the more. Until next time, I hope that you have a blessed weekend, and I'll talk to you soon.